There's a famous Christian poem called Footprints in the Sand. You might remember it. I remember it first, reading it first when I was just a teenager. And uh, you might have seen it around the place. And it goes like this. One night a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life. For each scene he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonging to him and the other to the Lord. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand. He noticed that many times along the path of his life, there was only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times in his life. And this really bothered him and he questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I've noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there is only one set of footprints. I don't understand why when I needed you most, you would leave me. The Lord replied, my son, my precious child, I love you and I would never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you see only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. How good is it to be a Christian? How good is it to know the comfort, the love and the hope? And if you're not yet a Christian here this morning or it's been a while since you've been at church, I, wanna, I want you to know that and experience that because that is the great joy of being a Christian, brothers and sisters, here today in our reading from John's Gospel. Um, the, the, the headings, if you have it, I keep it open there, you'll find it helpful, I think, this morning. Uh, the headings in the NIV uh, don't help us too much because we're meant to read... The stuff that we read last week, you remember, for Anzac Day and today, together. It's one of the things that John does in his gospel is he sets up these great contrasts of, of light and dark and here today, love and hate. And in our reading from John, we find ourselves, if you remember, on the night before he died. Incredibly moving night and an incredibly moving and powerful time for Jesus to teach his dear friends how to be a Christian, how to go out in mission when he's gone. And it's the pattern for us to follow, those of us who call ourselves Christians today. If we want to be Christians today, here's how you do it. Here's the manual. Following Jesus is not just some philosophical idea. It is a lived out, everyday experience in life, in good times, in, in suffering, in every day, Monday to Friday, Saturdays and Sundays. Discipleship is walking in Jesus footprints in the sand you see them I've got them up there on the screen to remind you following him learning from him as he picks us up and he carries us through the deepest and the darkest valleys in our lives as we look back and reflect on the scenes from our lives can you see the work of God in your life because a Christian Jesus teaches us goes out living and loving like him to be a Christian is to live and love like Jesus. That's what a Christian does. And we began to see last week what it looks like is love, their command to love. Greater love has no one than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. Love one another as I have loved you. And 
here in these verses, in this next part, Jesus shows us the contrast, the consequences of living and loving like Jesus. In the context of the world in which we live, in the everyday lived out experience of being a follower of Jesus. Because in its rebellion against God, the world has rejected Jesus. On the very next day, the world would crucify the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And because his disciples' mission is the continuation of his mission, guess what happens? They should expect no different treatment. You see how he begins there in those verses. Verse 18 of John chapter 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. It hated me first. Jesus is very real about what it is to live a Christian life in the world. These are the consequences of living and loving like Jesus. The context of a Christian's life, the context of mission, the context of discipleship is, is always the cross before resurrection. It's always the cross before resurrection. That's the pattern for Jesus and that's the pattern for us. I think it's very helpful. I want to ask you, what's it like to be a Christian in the workplace today? Do you find you have to keep your head down? Or in the playground at school? What do people say? What comments do people make about the Christians or the church? We've even seen some not very nice comments on Facebook when our church puts things up there. What do you do when family members put you down for being a Christian? Or make that little snide remark? When your friend wants to stop hanging out with you? Or a parent says you're taking this whole Christian thing a bit too seriously, aren't you? Jesus has at least four things to say about how we can live faithfully as Christians today. How to live and love like Jesus in a world that will oppose Jesus. Opposition, he says, four things. See if you can remember these. Is inevitable. Opposition is inevitable. It's terrible. It's respectable. And it's endurable. Endurable. Hard word to say, but it's endurable. Inevitable, terrible, respectable, and endurable. They're the four things Jesus teaches us. Firstly, uh, inevitable. He doesn't want us to be under any false pretensions. He lays it out very clearly for his disciples and for us. As a teacher who is the embodiment of integrity, he wants us to be very clear about the cost of bearing Jesus' name in a sinful world. If you bear the name of Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, this is what it's going to look like. Now, hasn't it been fascinating to see the commentary on Scott Morrison's Christian faith in the media this week? Have you seen that play out? Have you seen some of the commentary and the things that have been saying? Now, I don't agree with some of uh, his Pentecostal extremes, but there's been some interesting commentary. And the opinion piece in the Sydney Morning on Herald by Annika Smethurst on Friday, I thought, was very helpful. Uh, she said this, while writing Morrison's biography, I've discovered he has many faults. His clash with colleagues throughout his career repeatedly left roles in questionable circumstances. Women have found him unpleasant to work with. He has a thick skin and been ruthless in the pursuit of power. But, like it or not, one of the most genuine things about him is his unwavering faith. Like it or not, it's part of him. 
He's never misled the public about his faith, nor has he tried to inflict it on non-believers. But certain parts of our society would be happier if he gave it up. From a purely politically point of view, purely political point of view, there's no political gain from mocking Morrison's faith. She writes, more importantly, indulging in such religious bigotry simply creates more room for bigotry and intolerance to thrive. Quite an insightful uh, comment. But it actually is the reality for every Christian living in the world today, to one degree or another. And so here in John 15, the, the opposition, we are told, Jesus says, has three sources. Verse 19, it's because of the new nature. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. Christ died for the world and the Father loves the world, but the world remains in this state of spiritual rebellion against him, as it has since the time of Adam and Eve. When you become a Christian, you get a new passport. You belong to a new country. Your citizenship is in heaven. Your allegiances have changed and our ultimate allegiance means that we're hated rather than loved when you're a Christian. Secondly, verse 21, just our very association with Jesus is a cause for opposition. See verse 21, they will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. As disciples, if you're a Christian here today, we share in the life of Jesus. And so the world treats us, it treats Jesus the same way it treats us. Being identified with Jesus makes opposition inevitable. This is our first point, it's inevitable. The world still crucifies Jesus. Thirdly, uh, our exposure of evil. Jesus, of course, is the light of the world, we're told in John's Gospel. And, uh, of course, when he comes into the world, the shameful deeds of darkness are exposed as the light shines in the darkness. And Christians are called to be the light of the world. And so just by living a consistent, authentic Christian life, will regularly contradict the lifestyles of the people who are around us. The, the, the standards and the code of practice by which we, we work in the office. Our attitudes to our boss or the people who work for us. Our personal ethical standards when opportunities to compromise come. Our life goals, our values will inevitably, without consciously setting out to do so, expose the unfruitful deeds of darkness. And like Jesus, the integrity of speech, unwillingness to spread slander, words of kindness and forgiveness will at times provoke opposition. Shakespeare's Iago said it like this. Iago says of Cassio, he hath a daily beauty in his life, that makes me ugly. And it's a short step from that to hatred, says Jesus. So firstly, opposition is inevitable. Secondly, Jesus teaches that opposition to the disciples' mission may be terrible. Have a look at verse 12, chapter 15, sorry, uh, 16 verse 2. I'm going to even read my own writing. 16 verse 2. They will put you out of the synagogue... In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you would think he's offering a service to God. Now, this, of course, was going to be true in the lifetime of these uh, disciples, right? 
many uh, gave up their lives as they proclaimed Christ. And it's not just first century Christians to whom John wrote who experienced suffering and martyrdom at the hand of the Romans. Martyrdom for Christ is much more prevalent today, believe it or not, than it was then. In the last century, there have been more Christians who've been killed for their faith than in all the centuries combined beforehand. In places like Iran and China and North Korea and Sudan, Christians are being murdered in greater numbers than ever before. And thankfully, this is not our experience here in Australia. But every one of us who calls ourselves a Christian, including me, needs to face this question very soberly. Am I ready to die for Christ? If he were to call me to that. Following Jesus is not a game. Thirdly, Jesus teaches that opposition to disciples' mission is maybe respectable. Here we are on the upper North Shore, leafy, beautiful, kind, upright people around us. Jesus recognises that a variety of motives will be there for those who oppose Christian mission. Not all who oppose the mission of Jesus will be depraved, half-crazed, persecutors brandishing machine guns. There may be outwardly fine, upright, high-minded, well-positioned people in society. But they are nonetheless enemies of the cross of Christ until they find mercy, as I pray each of us does in Jesus Christ. Fourthly and finally, opposition to Jesus' mission is endurable. It's not a bleak picture that Jesus paints at all. See, Jesus is Lord. There's three reasons uh, that we see. The first one is that Jesus is Lord. He remains Lord over all things. He is the risen and ascended Lord, that death could not hold him down. Although the next, very next day, his life would be taken from him, three days later, he would rise again, conquer death. And that's the force of the quote in verse 25, that God has done all these things to fulfill what he has promised. God is in control. And secondly, opposition is endurable because in the midst of it, we experience the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. In our experience of persecution, however slight, we're assured of Christ's presence with us. The mission is his mission through us. And so to suffer for him is in the end to suffer with him. Such has been the testimony of those who have suffered for Christ in every generation, those who have gone before us. And thirdly and finally, how powerful it is to know that God gives us his Holy Spirit. Jesus gives us the Spirit who testifies with us, verse 26, chapter 15, verse 26. Jesus will teach more fully about the Holy Spirit uh, and we'll learn more about that next week in particular. But he says, when the counsellor comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Notice that it's the work of the Spirit to go before Christians. Our witness to the world is not actually the primary one. God goes before us 
and is in us and is with us. It's not all up to us. It's no excuse not to be Christ's disciple in the world, but it's a reminder that God is the one who does it all. Not only can he can sustain us in the face of opposition, he can work in the hearts of persecutors, even like Saul, who was killing Christians and yet was turned to Christ, who yet turned to Christ. He can do it in our witness, like that of Stephen. This is how the Spirit is working in the lives of Christians. So what's all this mean for us as we go out today? As we go out this week, how do we live this out? Well, it's a bit like the Fellowship of the Ring, as we've been talking about, isn't it? We've got a journey, we've got a mission, we've got a place to which we're going, and God has shown us how we're going to get there. And there are going to be challenges along the way, as orcs or other things, but God sends us out together, brothers and sisters, together. We're in this together. And he teaches us that our Christian lives and our churches need to reveal this kind of authentic faith, living and loving like Jesus. And yes, there's going to be consequences, but brothers and sisters, we have each other to share the load, to share the burdens, to pray for each other, to care for each other, to encourage each other. As we scratch where people itch, we need to show people that Christ and the gospel are relevant to their lives. We don't need to make it relevant. The gospel is relevant, more relevant than they could ever know. More than that, we need to demonstrate that Christians are just real people with real hurts and real pains and real problems, just like everybody else. But we who have turned to Christ have found hope and life in him. A Christian is not someone who's so different that they cannot relate to someone who's an unbeliever. See, the difference Christ has made in our lives is not that we have become perfect or so holy that we are weird and unapproachable. Okay, so being a Christian is not a license to just go and be weird, okay? (laughs) In fact, we are like them except that Christ has forgiven us our sins and has become the central focus of our life. So we need to keep learning to just relate to, to unbelievers rather than trying to isolate ourselves from them, to be missional like Jesus. And missional, by that, what I mean is that implies living out a life of love and care, serving and ministering just like Jesus, so that he's glorified and people are drawn to him and his saving grace, the joy will overflow. Sadly, many Christians develop a bunker mentality, a bit like a turtle. You know, they've got that solid layer of protection, the shell, and occasionally they duck their head out, oh, you should come to church, and then quickly duck it back in, just in case something might happen. The turtle approach, I don't think, will get us anywhere. The missional approach puts Christians out in the world, like Jesus, out in a world that needs Jesus. And as we live authentically the gospel life of living and loving like Jesus, our prayer is that they will see the transformation pray that that's what they see, that they see the transformation that Christ has brought and is bringing in our lives day by day and will say, I want what she's got. I want what he's got. 
loving and living like Jesus is a full engagement in the world, brothers and sisters. To be light and salt. But be warned, says Jesus, this kind of missional living and loving others is costly because you'll be treated like Jesus was treated. You'll be opposed just like Jesus, but this Jesus-like missional living is vital for us to truly be a blessing to East Linfield, to Kalara, to to Sydney, to the North Shore and to Sydney and to the world. And to be assured, though, that he'll carry us through as we follow his footprints in the sand. Amen.